Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. Welcome all those who joined us online and in person. Welcome. Uh, We're going to spend a moment in some silence and solitude centering ourselves in the Lord. Uh, But as we continue to celebrate Lent, especially on Sundays where you can take a break, but not on your defaults, that's not the point, Um, we have very good news. Uh, We had many, many fantastic things happen uh, during this past week. Um, Genders being revealed for a child. The boy is being born. Um, Michelle Sohn, one of our moms in children's ministry, we saw, we heard her uh, just now advocating for the children's ministry. She got a lead role in HBO Max animation. Wendy Lee got accepted to Downstate, starting a new legacy of Downstate. I don't know, we just like Downstate a lot, it seems like. Uh, but God is doing wonderful things, and let's, let's worship the Lord today in that spirit. So will you bow your heads, and with me, exhale. Just let all the automatic thoughts, ruminating anxieties, everything harassing your mind, and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Cast your cares upon the Lord, the Bible says, for he cares for you. And inhale the presence of God, the transcending peace of God, and his love for us. Sarah Young, March 20th. Thank me for the glorious gift of my spirit. This is the priming the pump of a well as you bring me the sacrifice of thanksgiving, regardless of your feelings, my spirit is able to walk more freely within you. This produces more thankfulness and more freedom until you are overflowing with gratitude. I shower blessings on you daily, but sometimes you don't perceive them. When your mind is stuck on a negative focus, you neither see me nor my gifts. In faith, thank me for whatever is preoccupying your mind. This will clear the blockage so that you can find me. All God's people pray. Amen. We'll have our Columbia organizational psychologist who who might cry today if he reads a quote from Bonhoeffer. So I think we got someone else to read it. Let's give him a hand. Uh, We got a video instead. So we good. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, can we get the first slide? Cool. So uh, if you've been tracking with us for the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been going through the Lenten season uh, with the theme of fasting defaults. Uh, again, as was mentioned, there was a sermon on that. So <laughs> you can check that out. Um, so up to this point, uh, we've talked about Lent uh, as it's experienced as individuals, Um, so fasting automatic thoughts, behaviors that occur at the individual level, Um, but what would it mean to experience Lent as a church or in a community? Um, That's what I want to explore today. Uh, So to answer that, um, I want to explore the idea of church as digested through an organizational psychologist. 
So uh, next slide. OK. So, uh, so normally for work, this is what I do. Uh, we diagnose organizational issues by mapping systems and symptoms against a model like this one that you see on the screen. Uh, and these models, like any metaphor, emphasize or clarify certain relationships, but they obscure others. So that's, that's just the purpose of a metaphor. You see other, some relationships clearly, but obviously some things get obscured in the mix. Um, so in this model, uh, you see different facets of an organization. They're laid out here um, in this structure. Uh, and uh, the boxes that are higher uh, drive or influence more the boxes that are lower, uh, just generally. Um, so for the purpose of the sermon, we're only going to talk about two. Um, the mission and strategy, which is there. And we're going to talk about organizational culture, which is on the opposite side. Uh, notice that, that, that they're both on the top, so they are actually, uh, <laughs> yes, jazz hands. Uh, so they are actually uh, very influential um, <laughs> to the rest of, uh, they're transformative to the organization because they have so much weight on the rest of the organization. Um, so for example, if a mission of an organization changes, uh, the organization functionally is different. Uh, same with the culture. Um, so we are going to look again at mission strategy and organizational culture uh, boxes uh, to discover or to examine uh, the purpose and function of a church. So uh, moving to the next slide. Um, so a common term that is used for mission vision strategy is uh, reason to be in French. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce that. Um, but essentially it's uh, one's reason or justification for existence. Um, and uh, what I have listed here are just a bunch of mission statements of various organizations that we all have come to know. So for example, Google, what is their mission statement? To organize the world's information and to make it universally accessible and useful. Um, uh, companies like Apple to serve customers through online physical stores and focus on selection, price, and convenience, um, so on and so forth. Uh, Tesla to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. It's not actually about cars. Um, interesting. Okay, so um, so the question is is why does an organization exist? Um, and these statements help to try to answer that question. Now, one thing that you'll notice in these mission statements is that organizations exist because they do something in the world. Okay, they. they they have to produce some sort of outcome. They're striving towards something. Um, and it's for that outcome that its members work and uh, investors see value. So if this outcome, if this doing is unworthy, why would you work at Google? Why would you work at XYZ company? Um, and so keep that in mind. Now, uh, we're going to do the same thing with the church. And so to do that, we're going to look at two passages. So I'm just going to go ahead and read this to you, uh, 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So that's 1 Peter. And then Ephesians. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you 
also are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, um, as I mentioned before, uh, most organizations, uh, the most important part of the organization is the doing, uh, the tangible outcome that is primary to its, its existence. Um, however, we find that to be different um, or more nuanced in the case of the church uh, based on these passages. Um, so I'm gonna call attention to two parts. One is the solid underline, one is the dotted underline. So uh, there are two parts or two parts of the reason to be that I believe are worth mentioning. So first is the solid line. Uh, the church exists because God calls or declares the church into being through his work. So the first part clearly says in both passages that it's God that calls the church into being. Um, only after the church exists through and in Jesus Christ does the church act. Um, and that's actually very important. The doing of the church is a byproduct of the identity formation of its members. Um, and we can't get that messed up. Second, the dotted line. God calls the church into being to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light and to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Simply, the church is called to proclaim and reflect him. But what does this mean? Um, thankfully, there are people like Bonifer and C.S. Lewis that can explain this relationship. So I will go ahead and read what they have to say. Um, so first, Bonhoeffer. One is a brother to another only through Jesus Christ. I am a brother to another person through what Jesus Christ did for me and to me, and the other person has become a brother to me through what Jesus Christ did for him. Um, and C.S. Lewis, we don't come to church to be a church, we come to Christ, and then we are built up as a church. If we come to church just to be with one another, one another is all we'll get, um, and it isn't enough. Inevitably, our hearts will grow empty and then angry. And if we put community first, we will destroy community. But if we come to Christ first and submit ourselves to him and draw life from him, community gets traction. Okay, so if you've been tracking with me so far, um, I, I think we have a good bearing on the first um, one, uh, on, on the first uh, point um, for the reason to be for the church, um, that God establishes the church through his own work, that is our relationship with Jesus. And a Christian comes to others only through Jesus. Um, without Christ, there is naturally discord between God and people and between people and people. Um, and without Christ, uh, we could not know God. So what did Christ do? Christ became a mediator that sets us that brings peace between us and God, but Christ also mediates our relationships with each other. Um, and without Christ, we could essentially not know each other. Uh, we're able to approach each other because of what Jesus has done for me and you. So, but we've still only unpacked the first of the two points. Um, so what does it mean for the church to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus and to become a dwelling place for God by the Spirit? Um, why is reflecting him, reflecting Jesus, so essential to the church's existence? Um, and we'll move on to the next slide. Okay, cool. So I think the answer lies in uh, the term Imago Dei. Uh, so the Imago Dei, or the image of God, um, it's an expression that uh, is uniquely used to talk about humans. Um, and it signifies the connection between God and human. 
Um, the phrase originates from Genesis 1:27, God created man in his own image. And the passage uh, does not imply that God is in human form, but that humans are in the image of God in their moral, spiritual, and intellectual essence. Um, the Imago Dei refers fundamentally to two things. So one, uh, God's own self-actualization through humankind. And two, second, God's care for humankind. That is to say that human, human beings can be seen as co-creators with God. So the term imago, imago Dei, I think uh, we, that allows us to be co-creators with God. Um, the moral implication of image of God or Imago Dei are that humans are to love God, um, but then humans have to love other humans. Why? Because humans reflect the image of God. So there's a mandate there. Um, and ironically, being made in the image of God uh, is what gives us freedom uh, to, or free will, uh, free decision-making capacity. Um, this freedom, which is our Imago Dei, it is, it's what makes us the image of God, is the same freedom that allows us to distance ourselves and even deny God. Um, so humans can, in their freedom, choose or deny uh, their spiritual and moral likeness to God. So why does this matter? Why does it matter that we are the Imago Dei? Um, it matters because it implies that the church and its members are a means, a means by which God does his work. We are not the only means, but we are a means by which God does his work. Um, and to explain that, I'm gonna read the quote on screen. So one of the most important ways that the community helps us is embodying Christ's continuing presence on earth. When my brothers and sisters love me and accept me, I feel Christ's love. Um, when I confess my sins and they forgive me, I know that the, God forgives me too. When they pray for my brokenness, I know that they're sharing in healing work of Jesus. And in our broken world, when we feel hostility and pain for our own failures, to have a community uh, that shows us compassion and encouragement strengthens us and gives us the courage to keep on trying. Um, so that's what it means to be the Imago Dei. Um, and it's all because we, as broken people in need of Jesus, are able to reflect Jesus, his love, his grace, and his mercy to each other. Okay, moving on. Okay, what does the church do? So um, answering more of if, if our job is to reflect Jesus, right, then um, what does that look like? Uh, one way to look at that, I guess, as an organizational psychologist is to explore culture. Um, so culture can be defined in a bunch of different ways, but um, when we think of the church culture, we can think of things like the behaviors, the beliefs, the values, and the symbols that a group of people uh, abide by. We can look at things like the group skills, their knowledge set, their attitudes, their values and motives. And we can also see the things that they communicate um, from generation to generation. Those are the things of culture. Um, and, we, and when we study those things um, in any organization, we kind of get at like, what is the essence of this organization? How do they go about accomplishing their mission? Um, and so what does Jesus culture look like? Um, well, we go to a couple of verses. Next slide. Okay. So, the Bible tells us this about the culture of the church, um, 1 Corinthians. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that it lacked, 
so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should be have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you has a part in it. Uh, First Peter, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Um, and, Jesus, uh, and James too, uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister who is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not, uh, not that if it is not accompanied by action is dead. So we have these indications of what the early church or what church looks like. These are the actions that they did, and they tell us something about um, how the organization does its work, how it goes about its day. Um, so the church, was, which is formed by God, lives its purpose by doing life together. All of these examples are examples of doing life together. So by forming Jesus-centered relationships and reflecting Christ to each other, we're able to suffer together, rejoice together, offer hospitality to one another, we're able to serve one another with our gifts, and we're able to experience God, God's love, God's blessing, God's encouragement, and God's discipline in and through the church. All right. Um, and so I'm just going to read another quote by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Um, uh, so I think this explains it really well, um, but uh, here we go. So, but God has put this word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain, discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, his brother's is sure. And that also clarifies the goal of all Christian community, that they meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. Um, so I wanted to keep this super short because otherwise I'll just get too emotional. But, um, but so before we close, I'm just gonna play a video um, that's reading a poem, and then I'm going to end with some final thoughts. So uh, I'm going to leave it to the sound team to figure out the video. Christ <laughs> has no Oh uh... 
Um, but yeah, it's, I think it cleanly uh, just encapsulates just the fact that, you know, if we are the Imago Dei, um, that we have this immense responsibility, right? So for the other Christian, um, we almost depend on each other to see Christ through um, the hands of one another. Um, and then we are also the vehicle by which um, God loves the world. Um, yeah. But there is a, a dark side to this, and that's just what I wanted to capture um, within my final comments. Um, and there is a dark side because I definitely went through it during my college years. But um, it's easy to fall into despair um, when the church, the image, uh, the Imago Dei doesn't reflect Jesus. Um, and when instead of pointing people to Jesus, uh, we deny them the image of Jesus and we hurt each other. Oftentimes, we have our own ideas of what Christian community should look like um, and how we should behave towards others. Um, because I, too, am broken and hurting, and I need my needs met um, through others, right, on my own terms. Um, but when our wish dream of community, what I wish or my ideal of what community is, clashes with the reality of Christian community, and when we get angry because people and even God fails to live up to our expectations, um, we begin at that moment, we've stopped living under God's grace and instead started judging others by our own law. Um, we begin to love our dream of community more than the people that God has placed in front of me. Uh, and it's by God's grace and God, that God shatters our dream and he humbles us. And he reminds us again and again that we live under grace. Um, so that I can once again become a thankful recipient of God's love through and in the community. Um, because the church is not an idea. Um, it's a divine reality. And so, I guess, to close... Um, as we go through Lent and we think about the work that Jesus has done, um, I encourage you to think about the work that Jesus will do through you. Um, and lastly, think about the work that Jesus will do through the hands and feet of the community. Thank you. I think Grace should read Bonhoeffer for you. But it's good. We need tears. Uh, we need the inspiration of the Spirit. So would you stand with me as we pray? <clears throat> it's indeed true that grief and loss has an uncanny ability, uncanny ability to expose and cut through the, the often hidden shenanigans of our inner lives and the utter frailty of our belief. When our expectations are broken, a lot of times our expectations are, are faulty assumptions that we built, uh, insulated by the bubble of our own reality. And so when they pop, it's painful. And uh, many people in 
the evangelical and, and Protestant communities have, have called this undergoing, this experience, deconstruction. And I think part of deconstruction is a gift to deconstruct these hidden abstractions of our own making of God and others and God reconstructing who he is. So today, as we pray, let's live in that tension, this ambiguity of becoming and who we are. Because tell the person next to you, I'm going to disappoint you. You know why you're going to disappoint each other? Because my image of you is usually greater than who you really are. Because everybody is normal until you get to know them. And, and you'll begin to see the neuroses that haunt our lives, hidden, and sometimes hidden from our own view and our own hearts. And that's why we need to come to the cross as we approach Good Friday and why Jesus is the only one that's the Savior. That's why Jesus is the only one that we worship. There is no other religion that worships a man. This is why I ask you to sit, stand up, sit, stand up, pray, and sing. There's no other religion that sings this much. It's like weird. Like, why are you singing? Because Jesus is the one that saves us. And what, what C.S. Lewis said is so profound that when we look to community, and not Jesus. We'll get angry. And I've seen that in our own community. So today, let's look to Jesus to change us, to, to work in us, to, to save us. Because one of the things I've learned in 20 years of ministry is Jesus doesn't just need to save me from my sins. But Jesus needs to also save me from my unbelief, my delusions, and my arrogance of thinking I know. Tell someone that you don't know. So will you lift your hands with me today? And will you surrender all your hurt by the church and all your expectations by people? And go to the cross and say, Jesus, that's why you're the only one. That's why Jesus said that everyone who has come before me are thieves and robbers. And he's the true shepherd we look to. Let's make this our prayer.
today as we depart from this place. I want to give you the permission to unburden yourself from living up to an unrealistic expectation to be Jesus. You'll never be Jesus, and that's part of the Christian journey is to realize that we've all fallen short and that we need to be saved again and again. That does crush our sense of dependency on ourselves and our own arrogance. But humility doesn't feel good. I, I don't like it. But that's how you know it's working when it stings. That grace is taking stride inside of our heart. I also want to release you with the burden of knowing chronically that we'll never meet the goal, but our hearts progressively, incrementally, there's a spectrum of wanting to represent Christ well. Knowing that we are a reflection in a prison of who he is. Not a burden, but a blessing. That a curse can become a blessing by the way we choose our lives. And that's why we're fasting our defaults, right? So that God could work through us and in us so that we could represent him well. And 180 in our community will never expect you to be Jesus but we'll expect you to try. And then when we fail, we'll forgive one another, laugh together, make fun of one another to a certain extent, and then move on. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service at 180 Church. My name is Minyoung, and I'll be going over our community news before going into our sermon for today. Our first announcement is about tithes and offering. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you remember to keep God in the center of your finances. So please tithe faithfully, which you can do at Venmo, Zelle, Chase Quick Pay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor with us here today, we welcome you to our service and there's no financial obligation to give, but if you'd like to make a donation, you can feel free to do so in those methods. Our next announcement is about, is about Bible Reading Group, or BRG, as we like to call it here. We have an Instagram handle and a Tumblr page at 180BRG, where you can jump in at any time to read the Bible with us. Um, there are regular posts on both channels, so feel free to follow along and get fed with the Word of God. Um, speaking on getting fed with the Word of God, we now have devotionals available for purchase at our 180 Cafe. Um, as Dr. Sammy mentioned last week, um, devotionals are a great way to tune into our hearts and God's heart, even when we don't have the words or the power to pray. And we have a few available that you can purchase via uh, Venmo or QuickPay at the cafe now, so feel free to check them out. 
Next up is all of the different ways that you can pray with us or pray with us or request prayer from our prayer team at 180. We invite you to use these resources at 5397prayer or prayer at 180church.tv. And we also have house of prayer here in the theater at 1140 uh, before service begins. So feel free to come and align your hearts. Next up is all the different ways on social media that you can stay connected with our church. We're on three Instagram handles at 180church, 180brg, and 180fellowship. We have a YouTube channel at 180churchNYC. Dr. Sammy here, uh, our head pastor here at 180church, has a Twitter page at Dr. Sammy Kim. Our Facebook page is at 180church, and as mentioned, we have a Tumblr page at 180brg, so feel free to follow us, like us, and keep up with us throughout the week. Our next announcement is about small groups, which are still mostly being held remotely during this time. Um, small groups are where we can meet in smaller pockets of our community and connect during the week. Our adult groups meet the Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Our young adult group meets every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. And our college group, 180 Fellowship, meets in pers person, I believe, on Mondays at 7.30 p.m. And if you're interested in getting plugged in, you can come talk to me after service. Our next announcement is about our children's ministry. We need volunteers to help with watching our little runs during Sunday service. So if you enjoy hanging out with the younger crew and helping them to learn more about Jesus, you can speak to Pastor Leah or Michelle Kim. Uh, we also need volunteers for our 180 Cafe, which you guys pass on your way in here. We have a great team who serves up really delicious coffee and tea and other beverages, and they need some more help um, and more hands. So if you're interested in helping out, you can talk to Danny O or Wendy Lee. Or if you're, in if, if you're interested in serving the community in a different way than the ones I mentioned, we do need more people on the greeting team to help welcome our members and visitors. So if you'd like to help out in this way, you can also talk to Danny O or Wendy Lee about this. That's it for all of our announcements today.